This is Sunday, November 1st, 2020. You're listening to Sermon to Go from Advent United Methodist Church in Egan, Minnesota. Let us listen to recording artist Trevor Thompson sing a contemporary version of the classic hymn, For All the Saints. For all the saints who from their labors rest, who you by faith before the world confessed, your name, O Jesus, be forever blessed. There are two readings this morning from the Gospel of Matthew. They serve as bookends to Jesus' public preaching. Our first reading from the fifth chapter of Matthew is called the Sermon on the Mount. It is Jesus' first recorded sermon in Matthew. You may know it by its other name, the Beatitudes. An interesting point. The Bible may have originally been written in Greek and Hebrew, but in the 4th century it was translated into Latin. Latin remained the official language of the Bible until the Reformation in the 16th century, when the Reformers started translating the Bible into native languages. Beati is Latin for blessed. It can also be translated as happy or rich, so the Beatitudes are a collection of blessing saints. Jesus teaches the listeners the Beatitudes as a new set of ideals that focus on love, humility, and grace, rather than force and payments. They represent the core of everything Jesus will ever teach about spirituality and compassion. On the other end of the Gospel is our second reading, from Matthew 23, verses 1 through 12. Here, Jesus is in the final days in Jerusalem. The tone is more tense. If you listen You hear the Beatitudes reflected in the reading, although not as blessings. 
The two readings together communicate Jesus' frustration. He did not teach the Beatitudes to warm hearts with beautiful thoughts. These blessings were meant to be lived, not recited. And what bothers Jesus in Jerusalem? Religious teachers. They talk a good talk, but they don't live it. We will be using the NRSV for our Matthew uh, chapter 5 reading and the message translation for Matthew 23. Let us listen to the Word of God. From Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to speak and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And now our second reading from Matthew 23, verses 1 through 12, the message translation. Now Jesus turned to address his disciples, along with the crowd that had gathered with them. The religion scholars and Pharisees are competent teachers in God's law. You won't go wrong in following their teachings on Moses. But be careful about them. They talk a good line, but they don't live it. They don't take it into their hearts and live it out in their behavior. It's all spit and polish veneer. Instead of giving you God's laws, food and drink by which you can banquet on God, they package it in bundles of rules, loading you down like pack animals. They seem to take pleasure in watching you stagger under these loads and wouldn't think of lifting a finger to help. Their lives are perpetual fashion shows, embroidered prayer shawls one day and flowery prayers the next. They love to sit at the head table at church dinners, basking in the most prominent positions, preening in the radiance of public flattery, receiving honorary degrees and getting called doctor and reverend. Don't let people do that to you. Put you on a pedestal like that. You have all, you all have a single teacher, and you are all classmates. Don't set people up as experts over your life, letting them tell you what to do. Save that authority for God. Let God tell you what to do. No one else should carry the title of Father. You have only one Father, and He's in Heaven. And don't let people maneuver you into taking charge of them. There's only one life leader for you and them. It is Christ. Do you want to stand out? Then step down. Be a servant. If you puff yourself up, you'll get the wind knocked out of you. But if you're content to simply be yourself, your life will count for plenty. The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God.
you may be wondering about a caterpillar on the cross behind me, and uh, I just say, Ariel and Cindy had fun one, one day here at the office. Uh, a couple of weeks before I came to serve as the lead pastor at Advent United Methodist Church, I met Pastor Rory here in this office. Pastor Rory um, had been serving this congregation, I believe, for about eight years and was getting ready for a new appointment. We met so he could explain to me and introduce me to the congregation. And not so much the people, but the community as a whole, and to talk about the issues they had gone through and also about the issues they were facing. It was not really an extensive conversation. There's not much you can cover in an hour. And they're always weird conversations anyway, because um, Pastor Rory is near and dear. But, you know, once you know you're leaving, you check out really, really quick. You're just ready for that new appointment. And the one person coming in is just desperate to know as much information as they can in as little bit of time as they can. And so it just has a strange element to it. I've been through enough of these conversations that uh, I don't really... Um, want to know the congregation when I talked with them. Really what I wanted to know was the pastor. I wanted to understand who Rory was, because if I understand who that pastor is, it'll help me understand the expectations of the people, what they will expect of me when I come in here. One of the things that Pastor Rory told me that just always has stuck out in my mind is he looked at me, he just turned around and said, yep, no weddings, no funerals. And that was it. And I probably remember it most because 30 days later, after our conversation, I did my first funeral. And it was the first of a series of funerals. Matter of fact, I ended the last four months of the year with one funeral every month. People in the congregation came up to me and said, You know, I don't remember ever having funerals until you showed up. <laughs> And I hope they were joking, but I got to tell you something. I kept thinking about that. I kept on thinking that I was a bad omen, that uh, um, people would start to get really suspicious of me as, as a leader. <laughs> Each person who passed away during that time played a significant and unique role in the life of this church. And I remember meeting with the families and, and talking about these people, and there was a kind of selfishness of my grieving my own loss in the midst of their grief. Because I kept on listening to these stories and go, oh man, I would have really loved to know that person better. I really would have had, liked that time to nurture that relationship. I, I just would have gained so much wisdom from it. But there's always a blessing in the midst of even the most trying times. Meeting with those families gave me the opportunity to listen. And I got to listen to the stories they had to tell about the saints who had passed on and to go on to be with God in heaven. And because I listened to the stories of these saints, I now see the fingerprints of their work all over this building. And I am reminded of them all the time. Our congregation has a story to tell. All congregations have a story to tell. This building, like all church buildings, is like a table of contents, directing you to the different chapters in the life of the people that worship here. 
The table of, the, of contents, though, is not words, but they are objects and structures, um, things that you will discover reveal the identity of the congregation. <laughs> Consider oh, this rock for a second. This set rock sits on the steps of the altar area in our sanctuary. When I first arrived, I thought it was a decoration. <laughs> I thought it was an image to draw you to um, the Peter and, and the church is built on a rock. But when I went to move it, I discovered it was more than a decoration. This was a sacred object, something of great value to the people who worship here. The story, as I have been told, it is that our first pastor, Pastor um, Lauren Nelson, used this rock for a children's sermon when we used to worship at Northview Elementary School. And the children loved it so much that every Sunday they kept on asking where the rock was. It became so popular that eventually when this um, church was built on this location, the children put this rock in a little red wagon and, um, and brought, it back, brought it down from the hill to this location. Eventually, when um, it became and found a resting place on the steps of the altar area. Now, I love this story. I find great meaning in this story, but I'm not going to lie to you. I have tripped on this rock at least 15 times while recording sermons or recording worship in the sanctuary during this time of pandemic. The last time was this last week. I tripped on it and just about face-planted right on the concrete. I just want you to know, if it weren't for my profound love for you, this rock would be at the bottom of the Mississippi River right now. <laughs> I'm going to call this rock Ludafisk. Ludafisk is a Norwegian uh, fish that people eat at Christmas time. It is dried white fish that has been salted and pickled in lye. Yes, pickled in a substance that if eaten on its own will poison and kill you. <laughs> Norwegian Americans revere this food, this dish, but it's not delicious food. I eat it every Christmas, when possible, to remember my identity and to remember the journey of my ancestors that came over from Norway. My ancestors, most likely who came from Norway, were poor, and they came here and they built a beautiful life. The eating of that fish, the eating of lutefisk, um, just keeps me grounded in my identity. This rock here reminds us of who we were and what we were called to be. To me, it also lets me know we have had hard times and we've had harder times than we are experiencing right now. In this church, this building is a rock. We were not built on sand. I'm standing now in the original sanctuary. I love this building. I love this room. I just love these big, solid wood beams that are hanging in the sky. When we moved here from Northview Elementary School, this was the worship space. And really, this was about the only thing there was to the entire building that they built. All the equipment in here, the altar and the pulpit, and everything was on wheels so they could move it around. There was not much to this church other than the sanctuary. It was all we could afford. And even that was kind of pushing it. 
Back in those days, I was told, we hit a point where there was no money, where we didn't have enough money to pay both the mortgage and the pastor's salary, not to mention giving out money into the community. It created a real spiritual dilemma for the leadership of the congregation at at that time. So as the administration council sat down to plan out how they were going to attack this problem, the first thing they did was take money out of their own pockets and put it in a basket. And the money they collected around that table went out to the community um, as an offering to God. As an expression of the first fruits we will give to serve. As an outsider walking in to this day, that one act has continued to shape the life of this ministry. I am absolutely moved and I love being a part of this ministry and this congregation that on Christmas Eve, everything that we collect on that evening goes out into the world to serve people in need. Right now I am looking over the original blueprints for the sanctuary we now worship in. Earlier I said the church was built not was not built on sand, it was built on a rock. Uh, unfortunately, we also built it on an active spring. <laughs> and this last summer, we were able to finally figure out the problem that was causing water to, be, to collect in the air ducts of the church, making this a better place to worship. Plans are necessary for moving forward. Even when you're trusting in the Holy Spirit, you still need plans. But no plan can ever completely predict everything that's going to come about. You are always adapting and adjusting and changing to the changing landscape that you find yourself. And this always demands people acting in faith to address these issues. I'm sharing this story with you to make a point. Congregations cease to be relevant when the ministry becomes the act of telling a story about a time when, a time when we were faithful, instead of um, seeing that what we are doing now is important and what we are doing now is only to get us to where we are going. In today's scripture, Jesus called out the Pharisees and the Sadducees. In truth, It's a message that is intended for all people throughout all time. We are all called to put faith into action. This this is a really paralyzing time to be working in the church. It's a really paralyzing time to be any person of faith, but it is particularly paralyzing, I think, right now. Um... Uh, to be a pastor. Um, And I really have to be honest with you, I'm really struggling with so many things. The things that I'm called out to do, the things that I'm supposed to do, um, I'm not able to do. And even when I'm able to do it, I turn back and I go, was that that the best move? Should I have been doing that? You know, um, somebody's parent dies and I can't be with them there to pray with them. Is that a good decision? Should I, have, should I have taken my health or their health over this important moment? 
Somebody goes to the hospital and even when I can sneak in to go and see them and everything's wonderful and they love that I've been there, I get in the car and I go, oh, did I just compromise somebody's safety for uh, my own need, for my own desire to be around people? I've started to think even about my own health in the midst of this. Um, if you've been paying attention to the sermons, you'll find there are times where I labor to breathe. I have uh, struggled with this asthma, and more importantly, I've been struggling with some walk cases of walking pneumonia, a couple um, this past year. So I sit there and I feel like uh, the more I'm out and around, the more I'm exposing myself, and I don't know what to do. Um, and then in the midst of all, in the midst of the guilt trip and the paralyzing feeling I feel, I get this great lesson from Jesus. You hypocrites, you say one thing and tell people to do something and you do something completely different. I've been looking at myself and saying, I, I really, I need to do better. I need to do better for this congregation. But I'm still trying to figure out how to do that. When we look at this church, we can't get together in this sanctuary. And maybe I can't be there the way I want to be right now. But I got to tell you something. Some absolutely amazing things are happening during this difficult time. You know, between 2008 and 2018, this congregation decreased almost 50% in their worshiping attendance on a Sunday. There was a big chunk uh, left in 2018, or a big decrease in 2008, um, but we have slowly been declining for quite a long time. And we were starting to get a growing uh, worship attendance when the pandemic hit. Here's this thing. We, right now, online, are reaching more people than we ever have, and reaching more people than we would if we were meeting in the sanctuary. Our worship engagement on a Sunday has grown by 30%. And though we cannot be in the sanctuary, these last two months, we have raised almost $20,000 to reach out to services helping people in need in the Egan community. It's overwhelming. It's those people that are engaging with this ministry that are hearing that word and going out and serving the community. I think we had more baptisms this summer than we've had in the last two years combined. We are growing in amazing places, but we need to continue to adapt to this changing landscape. We need to think about your health, and we also need to think about the health of the staff as well as we move forward. We can be the church during a difficult time. We are going to be creating the Circles of Care team to um, reach out to people, to continue to connect with them so that we are building community even as we're isolated. We, are, we have some amazing plans about doing some Bible studies and creating some small group discussions and doing that online and doing that in an affirming and uh, life-giving way. We have some amazing plans for uh, Christmas, uh, uh, talking about gathering in the, in the parking lot and putting the words to Christmas carols on the side of a building and singing Christmas carols together in the cold of a Christmas night. We have great plans moving forward, and we will continue to be the church because the saints who have entrusted this ministry to us are calling forth to have our hearts move out to give, serve, and love. 
it's our, it is our time of stewardship, and this happens every single year. So if you were one of these people, don't worry. Somebody says it to me every year. There's always somebody who says, oh, the church is after money again, and you only want money, or you only want more money. It's all that same thing. And I want to be very clear with you. I'm a pastor that does not want your money. Not only do I not want your money, I don't even want more money. I want something more. I want your heart. I want your heart. I want to take this gospel that we preach, this gospel that we teach, and weave it into your heart in such a way that you move out into the world and do profound acts of love that everyone around will see your good works and give glory to God in heaven for it. And they will give glory to God because through you and through your listening to the gospel and being woven um, through it so deep into your core, they will understand that their life is being renewed because of it. These are our plans moving forward into the new year. And I hope your plan is to not only join us, but equip us to do it as well. Take care and God bless.